welcome to this episode of On Air with Air Cargo World. I'm your host, Karen Livingston, editor of Air Cargo World. I'm joined today by a podcast regular, Kathy Morrow-Robertson. Kathy is the founder of Logistics, Trends, and Insights, and also writes a weekly column for Air Cargo World. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, Karen. Thank you so much. Yeah, great to have you. It's March, and that means quarterly and annual earnings reports are taking place. So, Kathy, earlier this month, you covered FedEx's fiscal third quarter, and I I do want to get into that. But first, we had big news from FedEx yesterday that FedEx's founder and CEO, Fred Smith, is stepping down from that role with uh, the current chief operating officer, Raj Subramaniam, to take on the CEO role as of June 1st. So... Raj would seem to be an excellent choice to take on leadership at FedEx and Air Cargo World named him as an executive to watch back in our December 2019, January 2020 issue. Uh, so how would you expect him to to carry on Fred Smith's legacy at FedEx or, or create his own as he takes on that role? Well, I think he's going to continue on as is. I mean, Fred Smith handpicked him what, a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, to succeed him. And and Raj has been doing a great, a great job, I think. I mean, he's putting on more of a focus on the whole digitalization, e-commerce, really helping to transform FedEx and um, update FedEx at the same time in a number of ways. Uh, So I think he's going to continue on with that. He sees this need and he's going to continue on down the road. But I, I think, uh, you know, the whole investment in technology has grown even more important for FedEx from not only trying to attract the e-commerce players, but also investing more in their operations to uh, streamline and make them a lot more efficient. Uh, if you remember last year and uh, one of the uh, quarterly earnings, they uh, FedEx came out and said that they were planning to invest more in operations to help compensate for for the need for more workers, for example. And um, I think this, as well as also investing in technologies to help each of the the three major business units interact more together, because um, that's very much needed, because right now, uh, freight, FedEx and ground all run on three unique networks. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly the most cost efficient way to run a business these days. And there needs to be more interaction between the two and they're making it happen. And I think Raj played a very important role in setting the ball rolling with this uh, initiative. And uh, then I, I believe in, in your coverage, you you mentioned that FedEx is expecting to complete the TNT integration this month. And then uh, I know last year in a couple of their, their earnings, they they got into some of their expansion plans for, for Europe and for some other markets and trade lanes where they maybe have historically not been the market leader. Mm-hmm. So with, with these things kind of coming together as FedEx is acquiring this this new leadership, what are some of the, the things that that we might be looking forward to in terms of their operations this year? Like, yeah, I mean, six years after purchasing TNT, it's finally going to be completed. 
Yeah, I have to get that in because six years is a long time to integrate a company. Yeah. Yes, I know they were hit very hard with a cyber attack a few years ago. But with that being said, in my opinion, should have been done a lot. It could have been done a lot sooner. But what they've got now is a really interesting network, global network, that what they're doing is piecing's probably not the correct word, but they're putting it all together where a package can go from, from the manufacturer all the way to our front door without leaving a FedEx without leaving the FedEx network. So FedEx Express, their air division, also their largest division in terms of revenue, could air this particular piece, uh, you know, a parcel, for lack of a better description, from France into Memphis. It can clear customs without leaving the FedEx network because FedEx, oh, they do customs brokerage. They can warehouse it. They can put it on a, a, a truck, one of their freight, their freight trucks. They can send it to a store. We could either, as customers, go pick it up at the store or a FedEx ground person can make the delivery to us. So it basically stays in the same network. And this is very appealing from a security perspective, visibility perspective, and so on. And this is, this is the aim of FedEx, is to create this seamless network for, for their customers. And yeah, as far as trade lanes go, it's interesting because Europe has always been a big focus area for them. Asia has been a big focus area and the, and the US as well, naturally, of course. Mm -hmm. But from Asia to Europe has not necessarily been much of a focus for them uh, up until just recently. And they've been working on making those connections uh, happen. They've built out several of their hubs in China to, um, to specifically address e-commerce, uh, the cross-border e-commerce from Asia into Europe. So I think you're going to see more of that, more, um, you know, that seamless, that, and really the more focus on e-commerce around the world. Right. And uh, FedEx did have a good third fiscal quarter overall, as you, as you said in that column. Uh, revenue is up, which, I mean, that's generally been the norm since 2020. Well, right. you thank the rate increases, thank the surcharges. Yeah, that's why their revenue is up, was the fact that they've increased the rates, just, just like their neighbors down here in the Atlanta area. UPS did the same thing. Their revenue increased because they could command a higher rate. They have the surcharges in place to supposedly you know, uh, mitigate the, the, the demand and to help manage capacity, whether it's in an airplane or a package car. So, yeah. Now, right. profitability is not as strong for FedEx as it has been in years past because their costs have increased. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had to, they've had to hire more uh, workers, just like everybody else in the market. Right. Workers are a premium, so workers are commanding a higher wage. So FedEx is having to pay for that. Fuel costs are going up. Fuel costs, actually, because of the fuel costs, they've had to redo their fuel surcharge uh, index to match this sudden jump that we saw when uh, 
Russia invaded the Ukraine. And there's also a number of other surcharges. But yeah, uh, FedEx Express, the Express division is looking pretty good, as is the freight division. Ground is looking a little bit worrisome. There's been some questions about the business model that they have. It is one where you buy the route, and then from there, whoever owns the route is responsible for the hiring and the training of the delivery drivers. Well, there's been some um, issues going that they expect to be full. They, they want to be compensated a little more in regards to fuel and mm -hmm. equipment costs that they had set aside for the holiday season, things such as that. So it's it's going to be interesting. That division is going to be interesting to watch as we move forward. Right. And I mean, you did you did name both of those headwinds, the the higher fuel costs and the risks from the Ukraine-Russia war in, in your column. And uh, I know that, that FedEx halted their operations in, in Ukraine and Russia and Belarus. But speaking of that Asia-Europe trade lane of the, the airspace closures in that region have been, you know, more significant for most companies than than just uh, halting operations in, in those those countries. So do you expect that to kind of impact their their next quarter as they're they're dealing with the airspace closures? Or do you think they've been able to kind of mitigate that risk? I, I think they're able to mitigate. Uh, mm -hmm. As I think on the earnings call, one of the analysts did ask um, the impact of the uh, operations in the Ukraine and in Russia, and and I think it was Fred Smith that that said that it that their exposure is minimal, except they do have operations in the Ukraine in Ukraine, and they were helping to support. In fact, they've been great supporters of sending aid over to Ukraine, you know, and, and UPS mm -hmm. has been heavily involved as well. But, um, but yeah, they, as far as their operations, they it's it's going to be minimal. Right, but we we are seeing those uh, those higher higher rates, and I yeah. mean the market has kind of dealt with those higher rates since 2020. Do you think they've kind of largely accepted that, you know, every disruption is going to bring these rate increases <laughs> or how how are people kind of thinking about these these rate increases at this point? I think it's almost like shippers have become numb mm -hmm. over these rate increases. They know that the capacity in the air market has still not reached the levels that are needed to address the demand. But with this fuel fuel increase, this is really you know, it has caused a lot more to, th you know, to really prioritize and, and really almost think about the whole globalization. You know, should our supply chains be global? Should we start retrenching and becoming more regional? There's a lot of questions. I, I'm noticing a lot more articles from various publications questioning, you know, uh, the impact of COVID, as well as what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and other political issues that haven't totally reared their ugly heads, but is popping up. What is the supply chain going to look like three, five, ten years from now? I, I, I really think everything we're seeing today is, is we're really evolving, 
And it's getting to the point where shippers can't absorb any more cost. I mean, last year, a lot of U.S. shippers, um, it was all about get my inventory here as fast as possible. We'll pay whatever it takes. This year, it's more like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, time out here on all these costs, particularly because the inflation, our inflation is at the highest level since the early 1980s. Right. And, you know, it's pretty high. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was in a, you know, I got a rid shot going into the grocery store over the weekend because I hadn't been in a while. And it was like, whoa. I mean, it, it, it really hits you. It really does. And I think consumers, we're going to see it coming from the consumers, pushing back on the retailers, retailers pushing back on the manufacturers. You know, it's like we more or less have taken all we can. So you may see a slowdown in the ocean freight market, air freight market, across the supply chain market as a whole. But the the plus for the air freight market is that we still don't have all the capacity back. So I think from an air perspective, there's a little bit more acceptance of the rates versus versus folks paying like up to $40,000 for an ocean freight container. Those days, I think there's going to be more pushback on the ocean freight container prices versus the air. Yeah, that does make sense. And then... Uh, maybe turning to to UPS, they reported their Q4 results in in February, which once again it was record earnings. It's a broken record at wow, this point. Wow, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they've, I know they've really focused in on more efficient operations, and so far that's that's been paying off. And yeah. so I think the Q1 earnings call is scheduled for April. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how? How do you expect the company to adjust to the current headwinds, and what are some of your expectations for for the Q1 report? Oh, probably another record. <laughs> How about that? Uh, another record in terms of revenue. Um, it, they're going to have another good quarter. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's just you know, it's more of a shock if they don't. But I mean, there's some headwinds. Yeah, they're facing those higher fuel costs. In fact, they readjusted their fuel, the way they announce their fuel surcharges. They used to have a two-week lag period in that fuel surcharge adjustment. You know, that the way the fuel costs are going, kind of like a roller coaster ride right now, they've had to adjust just like FedEx. Now, what we haven't seen yet and what will happen, mark my words, is that they will also redo their their fuel, their their fuel tables, and they will increase their fuel surcharges. Because FedEx did it not too long ago. Well, actually, FedEx, yeah, FedEx's new fuel surcharges goes into effect on April fourth. The likelihood of UPS following right behind them is pretty high. So that's right. going to happen. Um, yeah, UPS is benefiting from that whole better, not bigger mantra. And I mean, it's paying off for them and it's going to keep paying off for them. Uh, one big hurting point for them is uh, end of this month, they're losing Juan Perez, their CIO. Fantastic mm-hmm. guy. He really helped elevate UPS in terms of technology, uh, their embracement of 
new technologies because UPS has always been a very conservative company in whatever they do, including the technology they use. Juan brought them up to the 21st century and beyond. And um, he's going to be so sorely missed. And from what I've heard, I haven't even heard of a replacement yet, which is surprising to me. Because coming from UPS, there's always that succession plan. They always know who's <laughs> going to replace who, particularly at that level. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard anything yet. So maybe they're waiting for him to officially leave, which is March 31st, uh, before they name their new CIO. But, um, but yeah, Juan's done a phenomenal job. Yeah, and of course, those... Uh... Those technology leader roles are especially important given the uh, the cyber attacks and uh, how oh, gosh, consequential yeah. those can be. Oh, gosh, yes. And poor expediters. Oh, that was a surprise to me uh, when it came out what last uh, in February mm-hmm. uh, of the cyber attack. Uh, I mean, talk about a such a well-respected, it still is, well-respected freight forwarder, always been um, well-known for their technology, particularly their um, the technology they built in-house. That's what they've always been known for, is their proprietary technology. And then this happens. Um, yeah, that's got to hurt, particularly for all the shippers on the Trans-Pacific Lane in particular. That's their greatest strength, is that Trans-Pacific Lane. It's no telling how, many, how much freight dropped off or, or what have you, you know. Um, really don't know the full story. In fact, I think they're still trying to get the full story as well. That's why there's, it's been quiet on their end, just trying to communicate with the, their customers and also figure out how much damage um, has occurred. But based on some of the SEC filings that they've made, they're slowly getting each component of their network back up. So I don't think it's all there yet, but they are slowly getting there. Right. But see, the, the-, the scary thing, though, Karen, mm-hmm. is that we're probably going to see a lot more um, because a lot of these cyber attacks tend to um, be concentrated in Russia mm-hmm. <laughs> or Ukraine, Middle East area. So, I mean, Middle uh, Eastern Europe, excuse mm-hmm. me. And um, and as part of this whole Russia-Ukraine conflict, you know, the expectations are more of these. Um, cyber attacks, particularly on supply chains. I mean, that's where it hurts because our trade runs on uh, on the networks, uh, computers and, and such. Right. I mean, that is that is kind of the risk with the increase in digitalization, which, of course, is necessary uh, yeah. for the level of operations that people are undertaking today. And as we saw when, when FedEx was hit, that had you know, implications for years and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, so yeah. yeah, and it hit Maersk as well. It knocked Maersk offline for a few uh, for a few days. And I mean, Maersk is really 
the largest ocean carrier. Right. So at that time it was, so yeah. Right. And I I know you said you were, you were a bit surprised to see expediters dealing with this. I think a lot of people in the industry were just because they are, you know, kind of known for this high standards in, Mm -hmm. in cybersecurity and in their, their digital capabilities. And uh, I know that U.S. governmental organizations are kind of prioritizing the importance of cybersecurity for logistics. But as we, you know, as expediters might indicate, it's not necessarily a foolproof thing to prepare for these. So, uh, yeah, I mean, being involved in technology over the years, this is something you can't. This is horrible to say, but it, it will happen. And mm-hmm. and with expediters, yeah, we've we were all surprised. And um, regardless of how strong your technology is, there's sadly there is always a way to hack into a system. So the best way is is really to mitigate it as much as possible. Have a backup, you know, have a plan in place of what to do. I, I mean, my hat's off to expediters, the way they've been handling this. I think they they are just following it, following their plan. It's textbook style. And, mm-hmm. um, and it just makes me admire them even more, you know, for how they're handling this. You know, you don't see this hand-wringing, finger-pointing, you know, going out to the press and such. They've been very good at the way they've taking care of this. Right. Yeah. Very important to, to have a plan and to enact it, but it's definitely not, not a way of avoiding the situation yeah. altogether. No. And I think one of the big things also is to train your workers because a lot of times, you know, the simplest things, you know, making sure your passwords are changed on a regular basis, you know, simple things that we often overlook. Those are easy, you know, for a hacker to worm their way into a network, into a company's systems. Yeah, definitely important to follow those those best practices, even if it sounds obvious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, in terms of, of other freight forwarders and their earnings, I mean, of course, expediters still uh, saw uh, a large increase in their air freight tonnage, uh, yeah. thanks to their, their charter activity. Uh, and then some of the, the other large uh, freight forwarders, we covered Kuna Nagel this month, and they saw an increase in air freight, which they attributed, I think, to, to their pharma and e-commerce verticals. Well, and, I think uh, also their acquisition of Apex. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, they're, I mean, they're one of the, the several uh, freight forwarders that have been very, you know, active making some of these large moves in in mergers in the merger space so yeah. since since we did see Conan Noggle acquiring Apex of course DSV has made its own large acquisitions in recent years would you maybe expect that to be the path forward for the largest freight forwarders as they are trying to stay ahead of the the consolidation trend in in logistics yeah i mean I, i've been saying this for years and years the freight forwarding market is so fragmented and it really is we've got some great niche players still out there that haven't been snapped up yet and i think those are the types of carriers or forwarders that you'll see the larger ones go after 
They'll mm -hmm. take a look at what's missing in their portfolio and they'll go after those uh, specific corridors to, to fill those voids. Um, but at the same time, you know, these forwarders are also investing heavily in these technology solutions, you know, for better visibility, end-to-end -end visibility. They're going up against one of the biggest companies in the supply chain space, Maersk. Maersk wants to be everything to everybody. And so how are you you're going to fight back on something like that? I mean, you know, Maersk acts as a freight forwarder as well. They've acquired several freight forwarders. So the forwarders are having to come up with ways to go up against that type of, um, of competitor. Uh, at the same time, the market, the market's perfect for the freight forwarder because the rates are high, capacity still remains tight, there's huge demand, and you know, shipper needs a freight forwarder, you know, as a friend to find space for them. And, um, and I mean, that's, that's the whole, that's the strength of a freight forwarder, of course. That's what they do is find that space. Now, and they could command a higher price because of the rates being so much higher now. The market will eventually turn. Will it turn this year? No, because we're going to have another great year mm -hmm. for forwarders. Now, if there's a forwarder that slips up this year, shame on them. There's something wrong with their business, you know, internal business. But nah, the larger ones like the DSVs, Kuninago, oh yeah, they'll do great this year. Yep, I, I expect we'll have several more quarters of uh, record results in the future. <laughs> exactly, we'll be sitting here in three more months going, yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to it. And uh, I think that about wraps up our time. So thank you, Kathy, for joining us today. And that's all for this episode of On Air with Air Cargo World. For the latest news and insights, follow www.aircargoworld.com. Mm -hmm.